Law and Liberty. This is a Reconstructionist radio production. Please visit calcedon.edu to download this book or purchase a physical copy. Law and Liberty. Russus J. Rushdoony. Copyright 1984 and 2009. Alicito, California. Chapter 19. Justice and the Common Law. Most people are aware of the fact that we are in the midst of what Los Angeles late Chief of Police Parker called, quote, a legal revolution. Law is no longer held in the same respect. The courts are in process of changing the law by reinterpretation, and the police are under extensive assault in most of the country. These facts, however, are only the aftermath of a legal revolution. The actual revolution in law is already over. We are merely seeing its consequences. About a century ago, the legal revolution began. Today, it is being rounded out to its logical completion and consequences. What was this legal revolution? It was the supplanting of common law as basic to our legal structure and operation with statute law. To understand this, we need to understand what common law means. First, common law in England and the United States is an age-old doctrine of law, already developing when the medieval period began. Its root is in the Bible. It is the application of the biblical law and doctrine of justice to the problems of everyday life. Eugen Rosenstock Cousy has commented, quote, Common law was the product of a union between universal Christian laws and local customs. End quote. The common law was the mainstay of the people, Rosenstock Cousy pointed out. Quote, common law was the good law which could not be depreciated by the king's arbitrary power. It did not claim a national origin, but was the diary of Christian baptism. This brings us to the second point. Common law represented God's law rather than the king's law or the state's law. As a result, the king and the state were under the common law, whereas the king's law sought to put church and people under the king. Henry VIII suppressed the common law as far as possible in order to replace it with his own law. Under common law, Supremacy of the law meant that king, state, or any agency of the state was above the law. The Christian had God's common law to appeal to in the courts, and the courts were independent of the state. They were God's ministry of justice, and the law reigned over courts, kings and people. A third aspect of common law was equally significant. It was not statute law, that is, it was not based on written laws enacted by an agency of state. The judge based his decision on basic Christian law, biblical law, and on biblical doctrines of justice. J.W. Ehrlich, in his analysis, The Holy Bible and the Law, cited an 1836 New Hampshire case, which the judge decided in terms of the Bible, because common law made such a procedure not only legitimate, but basic. This meant that when a crime was committed, it was not necessary to find a specific written law to cover the case the case was always already covered by a basic principle of justice, by Christian principles as adapted to local usage. As a result, the common law had a great deal of flexibility, whereas statute law is very rigid. Statute law is governed by the letter of the law rather than by the principle of justice, and legal appeal becomes more an exercise in Phariseeism than justice. Fourth, common law was precedent law, the law of the court was the principle of Christian justice as it had been expressed in judicial decisions. 
past decisions provided the ground for deciding present cases, because past decisions were developments of the implications of the basic principle. Now, precedent law has remained to a great degree in our legal systems in a perverted form. The Supreme Court has used precedent law to overturn historic constitutionalism rather than further the original concepts of the common law. Moreover, common law, insofar as it exists, has been arrested to include only the common law to 1603, the first year of the reign of James I. Moreover, the central nerve of the common law, the supremacy of God and his law over church, state and courts, over all man-made laws, has been denied. Without this faith, the common law is essentially a relic rather than a living force. Instead of being the bulwark of the people against injustice, the law today is an esoteric cult whose initiates are only the trained lawyers of the schools. Patrick Henry, for example, was a great lawyer because he represented a great faith and a great moral force, intelligently marshalled and ably disciplined to his task and calling. Today, Patrick Henry's kind of law has no place in the courts, and a different kind of knowledge governs the law. At the same time, another aspect of our legal revolution has affected the administration of the law. A fifth aspect of the common law is trial by jury, and this was so basic that the Founding Fathers felt it necessary in the First Congress to meet the popular demand by incorporating it into the Bill of Rights. The Seventh Amendment declares, quote, In suits at common law, where the value in controversy shall exceed $20, the right of trial by jury shall be preserved, and no fact tried by a jury shall be otherwise re-examined by any court of the United States and according to the rules of common law. End quote. The Constitution thus established both the common law and trial by jury. Trial by jury has a very significant purpose. Among other things, it was intended to preserve the administration of the law to amateurs. The meaning of this was that justice, as administered by the jury, was based not on a technical knowledge of statute law, but on a Christian sense of justice. A jury made up of the citizens of the community cannot possibly have a lawyer's knowledge of the law. They will obviously be ignorant of the multitude of technicalities which complicate the law. Under common law, the jury simply acted on the basis of its Christian sense of justice and the legal tradition of the community. The jury system is superbly suited to the common law, but it is under attack by the advocates of statute law, status law, because it is in effect a contradiction. When a vast body of laws and decisions govern the details of a crime, the manner of arrest, the technicalities of presentation in court, then the law is primarily governed by laws of procedure rather than by a biblical principle of justice. Oliver Wendell Holmes Jr. in The Common Law saw the common law as basically governed by the motive of, quote, revenge, end quote. As a result, he was hostile to the very principles of retribution and responsibility which are basic to justice. His own legal career did much to undermine our common law. We now daily see violations of law and order go unpunished because our statute law and its procedural laws prohibit successful prosecution. Statute law becomes progressively more unwieldy and less enforceable. Sixth, basic to the common law was the biblical principle of restitution. Instead of imprisoning a thief, the common law sought to inflict monetary damages on him in order to compensate the victim. Its basic remedy was therefore not imprisonment but restitution. 
restoring to the offended party damages for his deprivation. As a result, the common law was intensely personal in its orientation. It had as its purpose restoring something to an injured party and penalising the guilty party in order to do it. In short, the law operated for the welfare of the citizen rather than for the impersonal state and its concept of society. Statute law, which is not to be confused with a constitution, is the enactment of a legislature. Statute law prevails on the European continent, and it has done much to make the Europe for the past century and more a place of growing statism and of declining liberty. The persistence of the common law in England and the United States has made them seem like areas of liberty to the oppressed peoples of Europe. American justice was sometimes rough and crude, but it stood basically for godly liberties, and the peoples of the world were attracted to it. The decline of the common law and the rise of the statute law have made for a change in American life and a decline in American liberties. Justice has become a remote concept and the esoteric concern of a group of professionals, and the Supreme Court can make the justice of one day the injustice of the next. The process is not new. Long ago, the biblical law was converted by a class of men into an esoteric doctrine which was beyond the grasp of the people. Our Lord came into immediate conflict with these people, the Pharisees, who made the law of God of none effect with their self-created tradition. The answer to this Phariseeism, then and now, is the same. Law perishes when the faith which undergirds the law dies. To restore justice, to revive the common law, we need to revive the faith which alone makes it possible. And this is more than a lawyer's concern. It is every man's responsibility before God. And where do you stand before him? The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows, or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His Kingdom.